Thank you for listening to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Sign up to our Patreon to receive bonus content, live streams and our weekly newsletter with money off books and museum visits as well. Plus early access to all live show tickets. That's patreon.com slash we have ways. Attention, attention, action this day. It is the final day of our um, Operation Dynamo Dunkirk Most Important Week in Human History Specials. Um, James Holland, how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm good. It's been a hell of a week, hasn't it? It's been uh, it's been really good. I mean, it seems to have been going on longer than a week, um, but maybe that's lockdown. Well, it has been going on eight days, to be fair. Well, yes, uh, yeah, but you know what I mean. Like, it, I know. it feels pr- present in my life uh, in a major way. Um, uh uh, so we're going to do the events of June the second, but I think we also then need to talk about what happens, happens afterwards. What happens to the French army afterwards? The, the fighting on the Somme and outside Paris, the hedgehogs. We need to talk about Churchill's continued diplomatic efforts um, uh, long after the BEF, which actually are just absolutely incredible. Yeah, um, we've talked about Saint Valery before on the podcast, and uh, but we should touch on it. We touch put, well, we put the dates in. Definitely need to talk about it because after after all, the the forgotten forgotten people forgotten. They were abandoned by Churchill. They were betrayed. Yeah, they had, they're forgotten, blah, blah, which blah. is why they had a TV program made about them. Unlike all the other units that never had a TV program made about them. Um, uh, we also I have an email to read. Um, the Colonel got in touch. Um, Ingram. <laughs> <laughs> to pick us up he's on been something. listening and, and, he's, he has. And, he's, and he's got words to say yeah and he didn't and this email does not begin with loving the podcast so um he's he's getting so he's very point. lucky that you're reading it out actually <laughs> um and he, he starts off by calling me alistair so i know i'm in trouble um alistair <laughs> yesterday james gave a dramatic account of the counter-attack on the evening of the 27th may by the third grenadiers to restore the situation at Comines. now this when he sent me this, he'd mentioned bits of this before, my father, but this is like, the, this this is incredible, right? Because what he's done is he's not just looked at the war diary of each, of one unit, he's looked at the war diaries of around them, and so you get a bigger painted picture. So the attack was in, an, in effect a brigade counterattack by the guards, three field companies of sappers in the infantry role, a company of six black watch and some light tanks led by Major Hawker and supported by an impressive artillery barrage controlled by an, an FOO of a medium regiment in a carrier fitted with a radio. The attack was organised by the brigade major of 143 Brigade, a sapper. I think he was called Hooper. The attack was necessary because 143 Brigade, made up of the 1st Battalion, the Oxen Bucks Light Infantry, regulars, and two TA battalions of Royal Warwicks, had been driven off the Comines Canal by masses of German infantry. The Oxen Bucks have been caught napping in the early morning. Ahem! Exclamation mark. They had been very rude about the Warwicks, who they said had run away. I think there was a big, very big cultural divide there. But they themselves pretty much did the same. If you read the war diary of the supporting field regiment, they uh, artillery field regiment they were ordered to put an 18 pounder on the road between them and to shoot if any more oxen bucks or warwicks came back along it perhaps not surprisingly this is not mentioned in the oxford and bucks war diary the oxford <laughs> and bucks managed to get themselves together in time to garrison warneton where the vital bridge of the lee was where third division came through in the night the counterattack caught the germans napping but it was tough going hawker and one of the sapper company commanders were killed as they swept through one of the hamlets previously occupied by the Oxford Bucks, they found Sergeant Roby hanging on in a house with his platoon, hoping his regiment would counterattack and rescue him. He was not going to abandon the members of the platoon who were wounded. The Germans had not spotted him. Not surprisingly, he was later awarded the DCM. 
The um, RMO was awarded the MC for coming back and finding the Oxen Bucks wounded. In my view, two outstanding episodes and an otherwise shoddy performance for a regular battalion. There were some individuals who held off the enemy for a while. Tony Jefferson was one. He was given an, M- an MC. He was killed in action in Germany in 1944, leading attack. Roby, in 1945, Roby DCM was appointed RSM of the Bucks. Grandpa, sent from my iPad. So there we go. Um, <laughs> fully filled in. But what, I mean, it's this mosaic of different units interacting. Everything is incredible, isn't it, James? I mean, the whole thing. Yeah, it's anyway. brilliant. And I do think there is, um, it's, it's something that I haven't done enough of, but I'm definitely going to for my Sherwood Rangers book, yep. is look at the war, battalion war diaries of the surrounding units. Yeah. Yeah. Because then you get that complete picture. And, yeah. and you start piecing together. Of course, there's always contradictions. I mean, I've come up against this time and time again, where you know you've got a you've got a diary, and I'm sat with some veteran, and he goes, "Oh no, no, I, I can tell you exactly what happened on that day. We hit this yeah. hill." And you sort yeah. of go, "But in the war diary, it says something completely different." And he goes, "Well, I can't tell you because here's my diary, my diary written yeah. on that day." Yeah, and yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. sometimes you just you know I had this quite a lot in the Sicily book as well, where where you've got lots of different evidence about the same thing, and it's subtly contradictory. Yeah, and as a historian, you just got you just got to take a view. You have got to take a line, but but yeah, but it'll be really interesting to do. And and that has really come to the fore. And and your dad's really kind of um, shown a light on that. So I owe yeah. Ingram a pint on that one. Excellent. Um, I mean, it, it is the Duke of Wellington, though, isn't it? When you go to a ball, everyone has a different version of that ball and all that. That's what he said to me about battle. Is it's like going to a like going to a ball? Everyone's got their own point of view, and they have no idea what's going on the other end of the dance hall, etc. No, exactly yeah. that. Exactly that. Now, so we're so, on to Sunday, the second of June, nineteen forty. So the so the, 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 the evacuation is still in full flow, isn't it? Even though the rear guard are really beginning to um, wobble, aren't they? But by this it, point. It, it's basically all over now. So, so it is. It is the Germans are you know on that day um, a tank does get within spitting distance of the port and and <laughs> you know the beach and you know it is really it's it's the final throws. Um, yeah. There's now in the so, so the the weather is really good again on on the second so daylight evacuations are once again suspended, um, and there are five thousand British left and thirty thousand French remaining at Dunkirk at this point. Dunkirk itself is is absolutely shot to pieces, yeah. um, and and that's another of the sort of small historical criticisms of Dunkirk the film because it's just it's just not. It's, it's much too tidy in the film. It's, yeah, it's um, been, I mean, yeah. obviously, they were filming in Dunkirk, the real Dunkirk, now in 2017 or 2018 or whatever it yeah. was they filmed it. Um, but it was absolutely shattered. And it's really interesting, if you do go to Dunkirk, you can look at the main um, main church in the main near the main square right by the port, and you can still see shrapnel marks all over it and bullet holes and all the rest of it. And so I mean, it's a... Go on. I mean, the, the, the scene in Atonement... When he gets to the beach at Dunkirk, that's really good. He's much more. It's much more sort of like it, isn't it? Um, yeah. Uh, well, I posted up on Twitter the other day a, a, a painting of of Dunkirk, where and sometimes you know these paintings because they they just it's a bit like the Dennis Barnum sketches. I always kind of feel yeah. there's there's more life, there's more kind of sort of vitality to a painting than there is a a, a, a sort of two-dimensional black and white monochrome photograph because well, they're someone's considered observation aren't they they're, i mean they're, yeah they're, and they're, there's they're a, a sense of movement and there's yeah. a number of paintings and sketches of dunkirk and the evacuation and it just looks absolutely fantastic i mean you know sort of you know the smoke the oil going off you yeah. know 
planes plunging into the sea, trailing smoke, just absolute mayhem. And this sort of darkness. And I think one of the things that I thought they got really well about the red car scene in, in Atonement is the kind of, it felt oppressive, didn't it? People yeah. swinging yeah, around yeah. being drunk, uh, yeah. um, glass everywhere, debris in the streets. I mean, electricity cables down on the across the road, burnt out cars, trucks, smashed in windows, yeah. towns, you know, houses in, in rubble. I mean, it is, it is an absolute smashed, hammered, you know, post-apocalyptic town yeah. by then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the yeah, yeah, smell, yeah. The, the, the kind of the smoke fragments in the... You, you can't have smoke fragments, but you know what I mean, the sort of grit and dust in, in, in the air all the time, yeah. kind of choking, making your throat feel dry, combined with the sort of, you know, the briny sea and the sand and all the rest of it. I mean, yeah. a really, really sort of hellish place to be. But... At five o'clock that afternoon from Dover, 11 destroyers, 13 personnel ships, plus minesweepers, drifters and scoots all set sail from Dover for the final evacuation of the BEF. First troops go on board uh, about 9pm and at 11.30pm, Bill Tennant, our our friend who comes over on the afternoon of the 27th of of May, that Monday, the previous Monday, he'd been there seven days, and General Alexander, they get in a little launch and they go down the entire length of the beach calling out with a megaphone going anyone there anyone there and they have not a single reply and at 11 30 they signal back to dover um operation um um, um, evacuation of the bef complete a returning home incredible there's then two more days of getting off the french and they do they they get they get most of them you know so twenty four thousand three hundred and nine lifted that day of which only five thousand are british Goodness me! Yeah, yeah. And the so rear nearly guard, nineteen thousand of the thirty thousand so French. The rear, the rear guard are still <clears throat> the there's a French rear guard at this point, isn't there? So yeah, uh, they're holding on. the town. So the perimeter, as such, has gone. But don't forget, it's yeah. it, it's not a question of just sort of snapping your fingers if you're German and getting to Dunkirk because you've then got to no, wade no, no. across. You've got to get move everything up. You've got to move yeah. across those those flooded fields. You've yeah. got to repair bridges. You know, there's a delay of twenty four, thirty six hours just just to get there. Yeah. And there's there's fighting going on in the town, so yeah. you know that's that's what's holding them up. But it's but it's it's the most extraordinary extraordinary battle, and and it is amazing that the French do fight so well. You know, on that yeah. you know when, when the chips are down and they're absolutely confronted with it and they're cornered, that they really do it. So the you know Operation Dynamo is finally over um, on on the third of June, and you know three hundred thirty eight thousand two hundred twenty six men. You know that's a Frick of a lot of which you know, as we were saying the other day, about about well, you know ten times the ten times the amount predicted, basically on the on uh, you know thirty five thousand yeah. maybe we'll get that out. It's ab- it's a staggering achievement, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it is. And, and on the fourth of June, uh, which is a Tuesday, mm. this is when Churchill addresses the House of Commons, and right. by this point, everything has changed because Halifax has been kicked into touch. Yep. There has been this amazing deliverance. There's this there's this sigh of relief that that, that most of the BEF have come back. Yeah. Um and there is this sense that they've got away with it. Yeah. You, you know, the the absolute kind of Armageddon of, of the previous Monday. You know, eight days on, it's sort of you know, they're all it, they're still absolutely up the creek and, and they're they're staring in a very into a very, very dark place. Yep. But there is some sucker here. 
Yeah. And Churchill does this speech, and, and this is where he says, you know, we must be careful not to assign to this deliverance the attributes of victory. Wars are not yeah. won by evacuations. But then comes the next bit. Even though large tracts of Europe and many old and famous states have fallen or may fall into the grip of the Gestapo and all the odious apparatus of Nazi rule, we shall not flag or fail. We shall go on to the end. We shall fight in France. We shall fight on the seas and the oceans. We shall fight with growing confidence and with growing strength in the air. We shall defend our island, whatever the cost may be. We shall fight on the beaches. We shall fight on the landing grounds. We shall in the fields and in the streets. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Oh, my Boom. God, I love that speech. I mean, <laughs> every time I read that, and I read that one about the sunlit uplands, which he gives on the 18th of June, the hairs on the back of my neck stand up. I mean, this is the moment for me that Churchill goes from being... To stop holding gap. on with his fingers, absolutely struggling for his political life to suddenly becoming the daddy. Yeah. This this is his the moment that he comes. Th- this is his hour where he yeah. stands up and delivers that speech, and everyone is just utterly spellbound. Yeah, a- and his authority goes from here, right at the bottom where it's it's been on sort of you know. Rung one of the ladder. Well, he's been running on, on Monday, running on the empty. previous he's Monday. Stop, he, he's a stopgap. He's got disaster on his hands. He's not yep. leader of the Conservative Party. He's been forced into coalition in order to become a prime minister. It's just bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news. And his position's precarious politically anyway. Yep. And but with the combination of the deliverance of Dunkirk yep. and that speech, his authority is switched up to eleven. Yeah, it's you incredible, know, and, isn't it? and it's so. It, and it's a. I think it is a really, really big moment. Yeah. But at the same time, on the very same day, there are also cabinet war, cabinet discussions of which yeah. you know Hastings Ismay, his his military chief of staff is there. Dill is there. Dowding is brought in. You know, Danny yeah. points out that you know they're losing twenty five hurricanes a day, and that at the current rate, by the end of the month, there won't be any hurricanes left. Yeah, you know, uh, and Churchill is still wanting to send them on to France, and he yeah. still wants to send another three divisions out. And they agree that they'll send two immediately: the Canadian division and the fifty-second yep, yep. Lowland division, uh, and then Montgomery's third division will go back yep. out under Brooke. Yeah. Yep. So you know that is that is still being sorted out. On the fifth of June, the following day, that is where Erhard Feldmarshal Erhard Milk flies over Dunkirk. And he is the number two at the Luftwaffe. And he is the guy... Well, he's effectively is... the Luftwaffe, isn't he? He's oh in God. charge I mean, of the he, Luftwaffe. It, it, you know, if you, if we've, you, talked again, Goering, if... we've talked about how our, um, our focused on his job, Goering is. <laughs> the, only, oh, the only reason that the Luftwaffe really functions is because of, of, of Milk's extreme competence. Um, and he flies over and he sees lots of debris and he sees lots of, you know, lots of um, abandoned trucks, but he doesn't see a single British soldier. Yeah. And he says, the only way we're going to beat Britain is if we just kick on right now. Forget France, they're beaten anyway. Let's just push straight on. And and go and goes, oh, no, no, we can't do that. We've got to finish the rest of France. You know, you're, you're, you're worrying too much. And Milk says to him, if we leave the British in peace for four weeks, it'll be too late. And go and goes, I don't care. I've got some art to go and look at in Amsterdam. Yeah, excuse me. I'm just yeah. leafing through this catalogue. 
Do yeah. you mind? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he actually meets him on Asia, which is um, uh, Goering's train, yeah. where he's probably painting his nails and putting on eyeliner or something. Um, <laughs> but but that same day, that is when Case Red begins. So, I mean, one of the reasons why they don't go on to Britain, because the decision has already been made. It's already been made, I think, on and the 24th K- of May. Case so Red they're going to go, go straight. Fell, fell rot is the is the battle to defeat France... Um, yes. Beyond beyond the the encirclement, beyond breaking through at Sedan, it's the basically the battle to take Paris, and the the French sort of line themselves up, don't they, in hedgehogs, in these yep. sort of these uh, uh, kind of in square, um, with battle group squares as That's a way right. of trying to hold the Germans up, yeah, and do actually inflict a great deal of um, pain and anguish on the on the Germans actually. But, yep. but are defi- nevertheless defeated, and it, uh, and it is interesting because because of course if they had gone after the after the British, I mean it's all very well Milk saying that, but what 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 actually can the Germans do about? I mean he's right, leave it for four weeks, and but he's thinking it's the RAF are going to get their shit together. We've still the navy, you, you know what I mean? What and the what the Germans can effectively do about the UK at this point? Well, well the problem is it's not a lot because you can't you can't just as we were saying the other day you, you can't just sort of move all your Luftwaffe up to the Channel Coast it's not as simple no. as that you know no. it takes time you've got to, you've got to prepare it and, and Bomber Command is still going over every single day and Coastal Command yeah. and, and, and they're bombing airfields which means you've got to put on um, which means you've got to put on uh, anti-aircraft defences all around the aircraft yeah. and, and blast yeah. pens and all the rest of it and all that takes time it's not something you can just snap your fingers and of, as I was saying you know the decision to do Case Red immediately following the, the the completion of of case yellow operation yeah. yellow the the northern bit is made i think on the 24th of may and that's hitler's decision he makes that decision he goes right we will yeah. finish off f- before we turn on britain so yeah. and again it's all in motion you know the the same day that that milk is saying to gerig it's too late if you leave it four weeks There's you can say that you until you're blue in the face it's too late it, they've, they've already gone yeah. down that path i mean it, it's also so so you know there are still British units there. Forget the kind of the three divisions which are being sent to Brittany and to and to Normandy. Yeah, there is the fifty first Highland Division. There is a first Armoured, and there is this 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 conglomerate force, which is effectively a third division, in yeah. line um, with the French and the fifty first Highland. The reason the reason the fifty first Highland Division is lost is because it's in line with the ninth Corps of the yeah. French Seventh Army. Which yeah. of course is why the British is called British Eighth Army because it's the last of the British of the yeah. French armies. Um, and in addition to that, there are still six bomber squadrons of the Advanced Air Striking Force um, operating out there in France. So, what is very clear, and also it has to be, also be said, that Vagan's counterattack, which does take place on the seventh yeah. of twenty seventh of May, back on the twenty seventh of May, did also involve the First Armoured Division. Yeah, they lose yeah, over yeah. 100 tanks that day. Yeah, Completely yeah. forgotten. It's just totally airbrushed from history. Yeah. And, and the problem is, is that by the 7th of June, it's absolutely clear that the 9th Division is in a line to the coast, for, for yeah. running sort of roughly east-west. But Rommel's 7th Panzer is cutting in at an angle at 45 degrees and, and heading straight towards Le Havre and the coastline. Yeah. And General yeah. Fortune, who is on the coastal bit the the the, the, the left hand flank of of, ni- of french nine corps says to the french we're going to get cut off here if we don't pull back now do i have your permission to pull back and the french yeah. go 
No, you do not. <laughs> so do, he then has a decision. What does he do? Pull back and, and save himself, but dob in his French allies. Yeah. Or do the decent thing and stick with them. So he sticks yeah. with them. Yeah. So it's got nothing to do with Churchill kind of abandoning them, sacrificing them. I well, mean, but, uh, but also, Churchill is still continuing his diplomatic effort. With, well, it's not even diplomatic. His allied effort with the French. He's still going backwards and forwards to Paris as this as this unfolds, isn't he? It, it, yes, it, he is. And pl- or planning to at this stage. And it, I mean, because, the, the, um, you know, Falrot starts on, uh, when is it? When is it? 5th of June. So the, yeah, so, 5th of June. So, so at the end of this, so basically the end of this week, they crank up the attack to take to take Paris and it's Churchill is still planning to go backwards back as the French government flees Paris because Paris yep. is declared an open city on the 10th isn't it so yep. so the French government basically burn all the documents and and bugger off and bugger off yeah um, um, and Churchill's keeping tabs on that and goes to is still going to go and see them so even though you know so this idea that anyone's being abandoned well the point is is what everyone seems to forget is that if you're in an alliance you you are tied legally by the terms of that alliance to operate together. You know, part yeah. of the deems is is militarily you find you, you you neither side should abandon the other. Yeah. Unless it's That's agreed. The deal. That's yeah. the deal. That is the alliance. Yeah. So yeah. to do that, you are breaking the alliance. And Churchill feels, yeah. and I think absolutely rightly, that to break that alliance to save Britain's yeah. skin. Is yeah. a diplomatically wrong, immoral, and perfidious, yeah. and just just the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Secondly, the longer France stays in the fight, the greater their chance of being prepared back in Britain. Yeah. Whilst at the same time, of course, there is huge dangers of that because if you could keep committing aircraft and stuff and men, then obviously yeah. the chances of them being lost are, are obviously greater. So it's a, it's a gamble. It's a sort of lesser of two evils. So he then. So on the on the tenth of June, Rommel does reach the coast, which means that Fifty yeah. First Highland Division, as General Fortune foresaw, are now trapped. Yeah. So an evacuation plan comes to to go and pick them up from Saint Valery, but unfortunately, on the night of the eleventh, twelfth of June, yeah. Unfortunately, there are there is a really really dense fog off the coast, and they can't get in. They can't. They literally yeah. cannot get to Saint Valery, and so at eight yeah. fifteen the following morning. Fortune has no choice but to but to surrender most of the division. And it's Saint Valery. To make it clear, I mean Dunkirk is is a is a port on a on a on a on a on a part of the coast where there's a great long strand. There's um uh, a, a beach. You know, there's there's the mole that goes out. Saint Valery is a is a harbour town, isn't it? So you've yes, got to get in cliffs and, and a wave club platform, which so, means yeah, it's exactly. why you so have got to get in. A, you've got to get in and out of it. It's not. Yes. It's not like send 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 lots of little boats. You know, I mean, and I know, and I know that little boats. You know what I mean? It's yep. a, it's a completely different maritime uh, uh, pr- proposition getting people out of Saint Valery um, yep. to say Dunkirk. And you know yep. Dun- the, the advantages of Dunkirk are not on offer at Saint Valery. So if the weather is bad, you can't get in and out of the harbour. Whereas the, the the you know low mist at Dunkirk, low cloud stops nothing because it's this great big wide open uh, exactly uh, that. that runs for miles as well as the mole. Exactly, exactly. Meanwhile, while all that's going on, on the 11th of June, Churchill flies to France 
with Eden, who is now Secretary of State for War, yeah. Dill, who is the Chief of the Imperial General Staff, and Ismay, his his military Chief of Staff, and then joined by Spears, who's his man in France, at Briard, yeah. which is Wagon's headquarters on the Loire, where they also yeah. meet with the Comité de Guerre, the, the, the French um, sort of war cabinet, effectively, um, which is now being run by... You know, Reno is really, really. You know, he 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 he's hanging on by his fingernails. He's hanging on by his fingernails. Exactly that. I was doing the movements, but not hanging out. <laughs> so you can see this, but I was sort of. So, but doing so the whole this is basically thing. as high level a military power as you could have. This is the two the yeah, two yeah, yeah. chiefs of staff sets from the two, from the two allied powers getting together and and <clears> and saying, right, what what do we basically what do we do now? Yeah, and what what has been happening back in Britain is 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 Dowding and and, um, and um, Newell have been saying saying, listen, you, know, you really got to think twice about sending more air in and more yeah. divisions, and all the uh, you know the chiefs of staff are saying, saying sending over more divisions is that a good idea? And Churchill's going, no, we'll have this redoubt in Brittany and, and Normandy, and it'll be great, and we'll just keep it going. We'll create a new lines of Torres of Adras and. You know, it, it shows that we're committed and all that. So we've yeah. got to do this for our French allies, blah, blah, blah. And everyone else is sort of going, well, you know, I think that's a real cock up. But but OK, fine. You're the, you know, you're the boss. Uh, and so what what they're trying to do is go, you know, we're still with you. We're still here. Come on. You know, keep going. Don't don't give up the ghost yeah. yet. You know, what else can we do? Um, you know, but, you know, by 1941, we can commit a further 20 divisions. Uh, and Wigan just looks at him and goes to, 1941 you know we need them tomorrow we need them yeah. today yeah. um you know you have no idea and 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 they leave very very depressed and for once churchill's cast iron optimism and spirit seem to flag and he turns yep. to ismay on the way back and says you do realize that in three months we could both be dead you know and and actually the story of churchill's return well well, I'll tell you what, join us after the break. It's a We Have Ways cliffhanger. <laughs> How about that? I'm still by my fingernails. We've never done one of those before. Welcome back to We Have Ways of Making You Talk. Now, James left us on a shocking cliffhanger there of Winston Churchill and Puggies May getting on an aircraft and uh, returning from front... What, James, what happened next? Question of well, style. The, uh, it's interesting you ask this, Al, because the very same <laughs> fog that has done for the for the 51st Highland Division very nearly yeah. does for Churchill and Ismay and, and, and right. Dylan Eden because they are taking off because they have to get back and the weather is not good. And so the escort can't escort them. And everyone says, listen... You know, this is not a good time. We should wait for the weather to clear. And Churchill goes, no, I must get back to London. And yeah. so they get in the plane. And as they're flying over, they see two Messerschmitts 109s <laughs> below them. And obviously their transport plane is a lot slower than Messerschmitt 109 and uh, has no defence whatsoever. And um, fortunately, the 109 pilots don't look don't up. See him. And they get underneath them like that. Yep, and, oh, and they're gone, and, and crisis over, and they touch back down, and they we make did it, and it's all fine. We did talk the other day about how dangerous just flying is, um, yes. uh, uh, before you even in, involve ME-109s. Yep. Right, so so the, the, so the, the Germans have to prize open the Maginot Line as well, don't they? So there's this battle for Paris, so there's a battle for the Maginot Line. 
Yeah. Um, all these offensives going on, what concurrent with all this. So there's actually still quite a lot of fighting going on in in France, isn't there? Yeah, there is. There's two drives. So so Case Red is it goes goes sort of it, it's fans outwards in opposite ways. If you sort of yeah. mean. So so yeah. Guderian is still with Army Group A, and they sweep in behind the Maginot Line, sweeping this big arc down towards Switzerland. Yeah. Um, and and he gets there in kind of sort of next to no time at all. Yeah. Um, and he says, you know, I'm here in Switzerland. They go, surely you've, you've got the wrong name. Do you, you must mean somewhere else. And he goes, no, 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 I'm on the Swiss border. And they're just going, holy smoke, how did you get there so quickly? While, while Army Group <laughs> B, which now has Rommel's um, uh, and, and, and Holt's um, uh, yep. panzer group, um, is sweeping down towards Le Havre. So, that's, yep. so, so they're kind of sort of fanning outwards um, in, the, in these two giant, giant encirclements. Meanwhile, on the same day that the 51st Highland Division um, uh, have to surrender and Churchill is nearly possibly being shot down by Messerschmitt, yeah. General Brooke lands with his first two divisions in Cherbourg. Second BEF. Now, the second no, BEF. One knows, no one knows about the second BEF. No one's even heard of it. And, yeah. and this leads to cycle and, and aerial, right? Two right. operations, two stories from, from British military history that, that because... Again and again, it ends. At, it ends on. It ends in Dunkirk, is what people think. And you know that that um, intemperate French diplomat the other day said, you know, it ended then. No, 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 no. You've the second BF. Brooke takes people into Normandy. Yep. To to to, to try and create this uh, uh, redoubt. Yeah. You know because because after all the, the you know we've talked a lot. It comes up a lot on the on on, on we have ways where you, where Churchill's strategic sense. And over world global overview is very much informs how he then conducts the war, and yeah. you can argue that because he's such a student of of a military hist- of military history, you know, very famously, very famous biography he wrote of his of his um, ancestor of 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 um, you know another Churchill, of, John uh, Churchill, Duke, First Duke of Marlborough, exactly the Duke of Marlborough, and how. And so he knows that the way the British have, have fought and won is with naval power. And again, we're, back, we're right back to this thing that we keep coming back to this week. And then what you do is you use your naval power, which is completely superior to the enemy's. And not only do you use it to blockade, but you use it to send soldiers, to send troops to places where the enemy has no option but to fight you. And you do it. They're doing it right at the end of their supply chain. And you're doing it at the end of your naval supply chain, which is actually effectively shorter and quicker because it's not... For instance, in Portugal, at the other end of the French supply chain, through hostile Spain, yeah. And so, so Churchill is. This is how Churchill's thinking. He's thinking imperially. He's thinking. He's thinking lines of Torres Vedras. Vedras, exactly. The, the, the Britain he is, which of course, which of course, then all this similarly reflects on the stuff we've talked about: British power um, and British essential might and, and ability to answer an imperial, a global threat. Also. That inform therefore informs British strategy, and also somewhat somewhat makes the idea of British Britain being on its own and all that kind of anachronistic and you know and yep. historical and irrelevant. And Churchill's thinking like that, which is so. Of course, there's a second BEF because that's what you do. You put soldiers down with your massive navy, and they 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 hang on and 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 get you get the enemy to commit to fighting you. But obviously, yep. this doesn't last very long because yeah. It, well, it does not spray long. But not, I mean, what what is really interesting not is, is that, no, and and um, 
Meanwhile, the First Armoured Division is not caught up in that encirclement, nor yep. the other conglomerate force. So they are pushing back towards um, into Brittany, sweeping yep. round through Normandy down to Brittany for ports. So another, um, so uh, uh, for this planned Brittany redoubt. Yeah. As if the kind of hair-raising trip where they're nearly spotted by Messerschmitt isn't enough. On the 13th, he flies <laughs> over again, this yeah. time to tour. To tour. Yeah, with the French Which government. Which is where the Comité de Guerre uh, uh, now is. And at this point, you know, Renault is pretty spent. Yeah. Uh, and and he says, you know, please, you've got to put all your weight behind the Americans getting the Americans in. If we can get the Americans in, then, then there's something. But, you know, everyone's so defeatist here. You know, everyone's all yeah. for kind of, you know, Petain's already said it's time to throw in the towel. So is Vagand. Um, uh, one thing that Renault does do is... He says he gives the British the permission to take over all the French American orders, armaments orders, yeah. planes, tanks, all the rest of it, guns and stuff. Yeah. So that is one last thing he does. Following day, Paris falls. Um, and that is when de Gaulle comes up with the unification plan. Yeah. So de Gaulle has, 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 uh, is, is, um, is about to fly out to Britain and leave. Yeah. He's in the war cabinet, but he's a lone voice saying... You know, we should fight on. Uh, everyone else is against him. And he goes, well, what about this unification plan? And no one takes it seriously apart from Churchill um, and de Gaulle yeah. himself. Um, and it's all over. And in the afternoon, Brooke says to put, gets on a, on the call to, to Churchill. Churchill gets back to London. No problem at all this time. Says, yeah, it's time to evacuate the BEF a second time. This this is absolutely hopeless. And Churchill goes, yeah. no, 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 you, you've got to do this. And Brooke just absolutely sticks to his guns. And they're on the phone for the best part of 40 minutes. Churchill pleading with with with, with, with Brooke. And Brooke is just going, no, the, it, it's over. They've, we've yeah. got to get us out. And so yeah. eventually Churchill concedes the point, which is a very, and it's a very, very important um, conversation because it's one of those ones that, that directly leads to Brooke later becoming chief of the imperial general staff because yeah, 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 he's yeah, one yeah, man who can yeah, stand up yeah. to churchill anyway yeah. yeah long and short of it is a further 200,000 troops are lifted over the next 48 hours um, from cherbourg saint-nazaire la police brest well which is the, and then there's the sinking of the lancastria famously which is the yeah. uh, again i mean as all these dunkirk postscripts you know which are just as dramatic but you're i mean it's another couple of hundred thousand soldiers though isn't it so we're talking yeah. We're talking, you know, uh, uh, an army, an army. Well, worth. if you add that to the three hundred thirty-eight thousand from Dunkirk in Operation Dynamo, and then you add that to the kind of fifty hundred thousand, something like that, that were lifted from Calais and elsewhere beforehand, yeah. the useless mouths, as they were called, you yeah. know, service service troops and stuff that were lifted earlier, you know, you're getting on for sort of six hundred thousand. That's pretty, a flipping is, hell of a lot. Which is pretty good, really, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, seventy thousand sort of, get left behind. Yeah. Killed in action, wounded in action. Taken prisoner. Pre yeah. Taken prisoner, yeah. 64,000 vehicles left behind. Yes. 2,500 guns, 400,000 tonnes of stores. You know, it, it is a lot left behind and you, you can't sort of sugarcoat and that. All of it immediately pressed into service by the by the here and... Uh, yeah, because they don't have enough of their own. But, you know, yeah. uh, you, yeah. you keep taking a mick about my bloody car but but you know there's a reason why the french are using them for the gestapo it's because they haven't got enough themselves you know and obviously the french make jolly good cars but but on the 16th of june 
Yeah. Uh, Reno rings up Churchill and says, "says Please release us from the alliance commit from the alliance commitment." And Churchill goes, "I'd love to, but I just can't." <laughs> Incredible. You know, I can't let you do that. Which is another reason, of course, is why Halifax's ideas are so misguided. Yeah, you know, yeah, back yeah. In, at the end of yeah. May. Yeah. Um, so then Reno does formally hand over those those um, French contracts with the US. Yeah. yeah. And then resigns. And at that point. It's all over. The next day, French asks for an armistice. 21st of June, the armistice terms are announced. 22nd of June, armistice is signed in the same railway carriage that the Germans yep. signed the armistice back in 1918. Yep. And, and Hitler, that film of him doing his little hop and a skip and slapping his thigh. Yeah. Um, the bastard. Um, but, but the terms are pretty brutal. I mean, the reparations are absolutely crippling. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, there is, there is a sort of, ter- you know, all the industry is handed over to the, over to the Germans. Yeah. Um, the food. I mean, France is the one major nation in Europe which has no rationing at this point, none yep. at all. That that's all half inched. You know, the 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 Germans just home in on France like locusts. The yep. only thing that is not part of the armistice deal is the French fleet. The trouble is, if the Germans get hold of that, that is that is a big potential headache. well as, as mike nyberg was saying in, in america it's a headache that the, the the americans the americans are thinking we can't have that happen uh, and the the and the, obviously the americans don't want the, they've avoided the double whammy here of the british fleet as well but yep. the french fleet is 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 in panic enough for the americans and the british the, obviously the british government takes pretty stringent action uh, uh at meza kabir to make sure that that problem is basically solved. Yeah. I mean, it, it, I mean the, the thing is, the thing is, I mean, I think the thing that's really interesting is how long, you know, we've done a week. We, we, the, week is, the week is incredibly important, but the rest of June, this sort of, you know, is a time when the, the British basically uh, uh, are preparing, the Air Force is still being prepared. Beaverbrook's taking effect, isn't he, in, in aircraft production? Starts to in June. It really to, does in July. Yeah, so but, but, but 496 new fighter planes, brand new fighter planes produced in July. But this is all being laid down in June. So, so, so actually, yeah. the, what the Germans don't realise they've done is given the British considerable pause for breath. Actually, and the fact that the fact that you've got another 200,000 people, including something like 20,000 poles, getting out um, uh, from the French Atlantic ports. You yeah. know, this, 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 it's actually. You know, the, the, uh, again, it's this sort of glamour of the glamour of Blitzkrieg, the, the, the beguiling victory of, of uh, Falgelb and then and then the fall of Paris. And it is all it is. A, it is amazing. But it's also not the battle won by any stretch of the imagination. And that's the that's the thing that Milch realises. But obviously, there's nothing they can do about it. Well, you know, I mean, the sort of you know, the Allies are constantly being kind of sort of wrapped over the knuckles for kind of letting Germans get away from Sicily, or or for for you know a few hotchpotch of Germans getting away from the Falaise um, pocket in in, in yeah. Normandy, and yet the Germans, I mean, you know, six hundred thousand Brits, yeah, Brits, half a million people get away. Yeah, you know, plus all the others, as you're saying. I mean, you know, there's the famous scene in Casablanca where, where you know, Humphrey Bogart is waiting on the train as Paris is evacuating. You know, where's he going? He's going to French North Africa. Yeah, you know, he wasn't alone. Lots of them did that. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's um, and not 
And Churchill, at this point, he hasn't made the decision yet, but there, there are tanks going to North Africa pretty soon, aren't there? Um, uh... Yeah, and Hurricanes going straight away to Malta, because, of course, the one thing I haven't mentioned is that, that, that Mussolini has declared war on yes, the 10th of, course. of June. Yes, of course. From the, the 10th Pal- of June, Palazzo we, we Venezia. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, so um, they're now in the war. Uh, Malta is bombed on the 11th of June. Yeah. There's almost nothing there. There's the there's the handful. There's, there's the crate of gladiators of which they've yeah. managed to get four in the air. Yeah. Um, so it's not faith, hope, and charity. It's faith, hope, and charity, and and Bob. But but the Italians the Italians enter the war. They invade the south of France, and it goes really badly. So the the, the sort of you know it's rich with omen, isn't it? Because um, yeah. M- Mussolini opportunistically thinks right, okay, um, I want to I want a piece of the action. I want to be at this table. Um, uh, so what are we going to do? We're going to invade the south of France. And the French army like, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> that, that ain't happening. Even though France is beaten, they're not gonna, they, they, they won't throw in the towel to the Italians. It's, it's, it's very interesting and sets the scene for what then happens in the Balkans and, and, yes. and all that sort of thing. Where, where, where the Germans are like, oh, God, we're going to um, have to come to the rescue. And in North Africa, come to the rescue because the Italians aren't, aren't up to it um, effectively. Um, so well, the, 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 the problem for Mussolini is he, he's just kind of sort of, you know, he he is in a sort of difficult situation because because the, the, the bottom line is, is that if he doesn't side with with Germany, then Germany probably will go into Italy and just take it over. Yeah. And obviously he doesn't want that to happen. So it's kind of, you know, which way do you which way do you go? So his his calculation is that that Britain is defeated and therefore he's got easy victories and he can just kind of sort of have have yeah. this sort of, you know, yeah. New Roman Empire in the Mediterranean and all the rest of it, yeah. and it obviously just goes goes horrifically wrong, um, because actually they don't have enough modernity, and and even the the navy, which is the, the the Italian Royal Navy, which is the most modern of all, it still doesn't have any radar on it or anything like this or RASDIC or stuff like that, you know. So it's, it's mm. uh, they don't have and aircraft carriers, you know. The so they're, they're they're way behind. Hmm? When's Taranto? Taranto raid isn't long. Taranto is 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 November nineteen forty. Right, but the thing so. is, is is that that there is this golden opportunity to take Malta, which would have been yeah. a really good thing to do. And what they should have done is put all their eggs in one basket and just gone for Malta. Once you've got Malta, that gives you a really good base. Um, but they don't. They just don't do it. And within a matter of, I think it's a matter of two weeks, the first hurricanes are going over. You have to remember yeah. this is a time where they're, you know. Dowding is going, if he's any more hurricanes to France with stuff, yeah. but they're sending yeah. them over to Malta. So yeah. it's, you know, and, and by the end of 1940, Malta is absolutely bristling with anti-aircraft guns where it hadn't yeah. been in June 1940. Yeah. So it's, um, it's um, yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's, um, it's a golden opportunity missed. And of course, all the Italian commanders, the moment that Britain doesn't sue for peace and is still in the war, they all sort of go... This is a slightly yeah. tricky one. And Mussolini's going, go on, yeah. get into Egypt, get into Egypt. Britain has got its handful, though. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I mean, there's, there's lots of problems. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Turkey yeah. was supposed to join um, join the war on Britain's side, um, but then reneges on that. You know, there's sort of Arab insurrectionists in Palestine and in Iraq. Yeah. Um, so it's sort of ripe to be undermined. Um, they've got a lot of problems on their hand. They do have to kind of build up defences on Malta, you know. Yeah. There's an awful lot of things to think about. America isn't in the war. But, um, America but hasn't not, got much of an armaments industry at that time. But it's not the disaster it could have been. It's the thing. It's not the disaster it could have been. And, and and you have to think. Okay, what are the positives here? The positives are we do have a global empire. We do have the world's largest navy. We do have access to around eighty percent of the world's merchant shipping, and, which means and, we can literally get anything. And we got we got our effectively got most of our army out, and certainly its professional corps, which we're going to need 
um, uh, to rebuild. I mean, yeah. not well to fight the immediate <clears throat> fires and then to rebuild um, uh, for the for the for four. You know, they don't know when, but four years later, a new yeah. BEF um, uh, it, it, with alongside the Americans comes in, and it's a completely different story. Well, I, I, I mean, I've said it before, but I, I really think you can consider June 1940 as sort of ground zero, really. Yeah. It's, it's the moment where, ever, you know, the strategic earthquake has happened and it is, it is back to the drawing board. It's to the drawing board for the United States, it's to the drawing board for Britain. And out of this, all they've got to do in the summer of 1940 is hold on. Because yeah. if they can hold on and keep fighting, then they will win the battle of supplies. And suddenly, instead of lightning victories, it is a long attritional bloody war in yeah. which... He who can supply and build the most will win. Um, and, and, and that's what follows. And that's why the subsequent Battle of Britain is so important, of which more later. But it also, <laughs> it is growing, it, it's Churchill's sort of growing authority that summer as well. And I think that's really interesting. And, and that, again, happens in June. So June is a yeah. really critical month. You know, Chamberlain remains in the in the cabinet until he gets diagnosed with cancer um, yep. later that summer. He's got bowel cancer. It's actually it's, it's, it's terminal, and he dies on the 9th of November, age seventy one. Yeah. Um, meanwhile, Halifax has been kicked out entirely. He's been sent across the Atlantic to become ambassador in in in, yep. um, in Washington, and Churchill is able to do. Uh, I mean, this is where I suppose the comparisons with, with Johnson are valid because he's able to kind of sort of fill the cabinet and. And, and and all the key ministerial roles with people that he that he that he wants and trusts and likes. Yep. I mean, that's yep. Beaverbrook is part of that. Bringing in um, um, Professor Lindemann as his sort of scientific advisor and all the rest of it. You know, he yep. gets the right people. Dill goes as well um, the following year and and is replaced by by Brook. And you know, is this change? I think it is. It's, I just want to kind of read out. Um, yeah, go on. Churchill does this oratory at Chamberlain's. Um, funeral, and, and it, I think it's fair to say that, that that history hasn't been kind to Chamberlain. But <laughs> I think Chamberlain deserves a little bit more respect, to be perfectly honest. Uh, and and what one has to remember over the Munich crisis is is that kind of over ninety percent of the population were against going to war. You know, and as a prime minister, you, you know, you're just not going to go against that. You know, well, as, I mean, the, this is the thing: is everyone's into appeasement right up to the point where they're not. It's one of those. Right. It's one of those political watershed moments. Everyone thinks yeah. it's, a, you know, it's like the Iraq War. Uh, you look at the polling from the Iraq War. Everyone thought it was a brilliant. You know, I mean, that's an exaggeration. But the the majority were in favour of the thing right up to the minute where they actually no, I never thought that was a good idea. And and appeasement fits neatly into that public opinion category. Where yes, everyone was really into it until until actually, as we, and again we talked about it this week. Um, we, we, it was Seb Cox who said this until. Until March thirty nine, when the Germans do renege on their promises and do invade Czechoslovakia, and suddenly everyone's like, "Oh, actually, hang on a minute, uh, we're we're going to need to change tack here." And that, that that's that's when appeasement dies, basically, because the situation has changed. Yeah, um, but yeah, go on. So, what does what does Churchill say at, um, at Chamberlain's funeral? Yeah, so so he does the, he does this 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 address, and, and there's this one paragraph which I think is really worth reading. Out. And he says. It fell to Neville Chamberlain in one of the supreme crises of the world to be contradicted by events, to be disappointed in his hopes, and to be deceived and cheated by a wicked man. But what were these hopes in which he was disappointed? What were these wishes in which he was frustrated? What was that faith that was abused? They were surely among the most noble and benevolent instincts of the human heart. The love of peace, the toil for peace, the strife for peace, the pursuit of peace, even at great peril and certainly to the utter disdain of popularity or clamour. 
Whatever else history may or may not say about these terrible, tremendous years, we can be sure that Neville Chamberlain acted with perfect sincerity, according to his lights, and strove to the utmost of his capacity and authority, which were powerful, to save the world from the awful, devastating struggle in which we are now engaged. This alone will stand him in good stead as far as what is called the verdict of history is concerned. And it's a brilliant speech, and he's I just think he's absolutely bang on the money. Yeah. The tragedy for Chamberlain is that it hasn't held him in good stead. Yeah. That he's still vilified uh, yeah. uh, and that, that he's portrayed as some sort of pathetic comic book villain in a, in a major yeah. Hollywood movie about about the yeah. period. And it's just wrong. You know, it's it's just, you know, he wasn't, you know, he was the guy who sided with Churchill in those absolutely critical moments, critical moments. You know, he was the guy who decided to spend the Exchequer's money on backing the building of an RAF, um, a, an air defence system, yep. um, modernising the Navy at the time where they had the time to do it yeah. at the well, expense also, of the but, army. And, it, and also, it, was, it was unquestionably the right decision. But also, you, appeasement can only work if, if backing it, arguably, arguably appeasement can only work, if backing it is, all right, then we'll go to war. And you, you it, appeasement... You know what I mean, because it it does it does have yeah. a suggestion of deterrent in it that if you yeah. if you, you it will appease you up to a point rather than give you everything and you can't do that if you aren't if you aren't actually preparing for war and the shift yeah. that happens in on Chamberlain's watch the shift that happens in March thirty nine is well all right then um, uh, so be it we'll prepare the cudgels um, James this has been the most amazing uh, amazing uh, in depth week. Um, and I suppose we're going to have to do the. Battle it's been of fun, hasn't it? I've yeah. I've really enjoyed going back into it, to be perfectly honest, and, and yeah. looking at the details. And I'm starting to spend a lot of time reading around the mood in 1940 and 1939. Yeah. And and we've been talking about Molly Pantadowns and London. Well, we'll War get into notes, that. Just, we'll get into just that fantastic. another time. But it's been great to get yesterday. back into this. You know, it yeah. really really has. And um, I think it'd be fun to do a bit more on the Battle of Britain. Yep. And a huge thank you to Seb Cox, to uh, Mike Nyberg. To um, uh, who, Pierre who Samuel, else? yeah, yeah, exactly. Pierre Samuel um, to Colonel uh, the, Ingram, the Colonel. Um, uh, um, yes, well um, done, Alistair. <laughs> and um, who else have we had on? Come on, uh, is that it? Uh, Mike Nyberg, uh, Steve Prince, Steve Prince, couple of days. Steve Prince, yeah. Steve Prince, so, Prince. So God, that seems like a you. lifetime ago that we had. We're it, well, exactly. Steve. That's the point I made right at the start. Yeah, I know. Well, like I agree. Long... I agree with you. I'm agreeing with you. Um, a, a, a huge thank you to our contri- contributors and thanks for listening, everyone. And we'll, we're, I'm going to take a lie down in a dark room that doesn't have the Second World War in it for half an hour. <laughs> and then get back to the modelling. Exactly. Cheerio, everyone. <laughs> Cheerio.